This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, the legal research platform chosen by over 40,000 legal organizations for the tradition of editorial excellence combined with the most advanced technology. Learn more at westlawnext.com. It's almost 2013, and while many young lawyers are thankful if they have jobs, a lucky few at large law firms are waiting to see what they get for year-end bonuses. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward. And that's what we're discussing today on the ABA Journal podcast. Joining me are Barbara Cott, a managing director with the recruiting firm Major Lindsay in Africa, David Latt, the founder and managing editor of Above the Law, and Peter Zoykhauser, a legal strategist who often advises large law firms on strategic growth planning. Do you think that some of the partners who decide this, have they ever talked about maybe coming out before Crevasse? There are certainly firms that pay larger bonuses than Crevasse. In terms of the large lockstep firms moving earlier than Crevasse, I don't think it's happened in recent years as far as I can recall. I also don't remember in in the recent years being anything either Crevasse, possibly Sullivan and Cromwell, but it's historically these firms that come out first. And, And Barbara, in the recruiting world, in terms of the size of a bonus a firm gives out, how important is that, do you think, to the lawyers that you serve to do placements with? Well, it certainly makes an impact on the lateral associates who are currently working uh, at the law firms. But I think where the real impact is found is with law school recruiting. You know, law students typically are not very educated in how to differentiate between the big law firms. One thing that they are sure about is that they are graduating with, you know, $100,000 of debt on their shoulder that they are going to need to repay. So these bonuses and I think associate compensation in general are extremely important uh, tools for the firms to recruit out of law schools. And certainly there is an element of associates who are moving laterally between firms that they are remaining competitive and that there are no signs of weakness per se in a firm that they may be looking to move to. And it's such a small percentage of our country of the people who get these bonuses. Why is there such a fascination about the big firm bonuses, do you think? Dave, do you want to take that first? Yeah, I think that I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first, I think a lot of sectors of the legal profession uh, do take their cue from the largest law firms in the country. Uh, you can think of them as the AMLA 100 with respect to the American Lawyer Rankings or the Vault 100 in terms of that set of rankings. Uh, but for whatever reason, I think large law firms uh, draw a disproportionate, perhaps, amount of attention uh, in the legal world. Second, there are a lot of people who, even if they no longer work in uh, so-called big law, used to work there. And so I have this experience having left a law firm to go be a prosecutor, and uh, it's this time of year where you hear about the bonus announcements and you think, wow, this is what I'm missing out on. <laughs> and Barbara, what do you think? Yeah, I think, Stephanie, the word fascination is sort of spot on here because I think that's essentially really what it is, just a, a general fascination with what these Wall Street firms actually pay their associates. You know, it's, it's glamorized a bit. The, the Wall Street Journal will report on this. You'll see something, you know, on the New York Times most likely. So I think people generally get sucked into the frenzy around it, similarly to, you know, being interested in what vice presidents at Goldman Sachs may bring in on any given year. Um, I think people are 
generally interested, whether big law associates or not, simply in what these Wall Street firms are paying. It, Peter, I'm curious, when the news comes out with what Crevasse is going to pay, generally what are partners at other firms' reactions to the news? Well, I think some partners are fascinated with the news or just curious about it, but I think it actually is useful to the management of other firms in benchmarking what they need to do to be competitive, and that's why the leadership of large firms is interested in this. Once you know what the top of the market is or roughly what the best firms are doing, then you can slot yourself in someplace, whether you want to be competitive with them or or think that you uh, need to be a rung or two down from them in order to be competitive. And, and that, I think that's why the leadership of large law firms thinks it's interesting. I do think that there are uh, firms challenging uh, Cravath, Sullivan and Cromwell, Paul Weiss, Wild Gottschall, uh, you know, Simpson Thatcher, Davis Polk, the traditional bonus leaders, firms like Quinn Emanuel, uh, Kirkland and Ellis, Latham, and... I think that we will see them moving more quickly in in the future to make a statement that they're, uh, in fact, market leaders just as much as any of the Wall Street firms. And I think they'll certainly be matching bonuses, and and they'll want to be paying more bonuses in some, higher bonuses in some of those firms. And so knowing where, you know, where the traditional leaders are is important in terms of slotting yourself in. Is there ever a, a sentiment when the news comes out and the partners might think, gosh, I wish it wasn't that high. I really didn't want to pay that much. Or what are these people thinking? Well, I think in a year like this, I don't think they're going to be thinking that. The bonuses are going to be relatively low, I would say, and they're going to be glad that they don't have to be higher. But in years in which the bonuses have been more extraordinary, Certainly there has been wonderment in the part of some partners and firms about, you know, why they have to pay such high bonuses. This year I don't think there is going to be a lot of discussion about whether or not to pay a bonus in this range, in the range that we're talking about. Could you see a revamp of how big firms decide on bonuses and, and, and give them to people? Perhaps not this year, but maybe sometime in the next decade. Well, sure, I do. Personally, I think, you know, we saw one year when Gunderson uh, bumped the first-year associate salary, I think it was to 135 at the time, or it might have been the 160 bump. But, you know, they, they came out way ahead of the market on that, and they set the market. And that was when Silicon Valley and the dot-com was really hot, and there was strong demand for associates in the Valley, and they, they wanted to pick off some of the associates that would have otherwise gone to New York. And, uh, you know, as I indicated a moment ago, I think you're going to see more of that in the future with firms that are, you know, rivaling the New York firms in performance and and the kind of work they're getting, the kind of money they're making. And, uh, you know, there's probably a half a dozen or ten firms in that category that I think may jump out ahead in the foreseeable future. Dave, what do you think? Could you see a revamp on big firm bonuses? Well, one thing I think you're starting to see, and we've noticed it in the past, measured by 
underperformers might get a smaller bonus or no bonus at all. So I think that in some ways law firms were starting to look a lot like the corporate clients they serve. In corporate America, your compensation is often individually determined as opposed to determined simply by uh, how long you have been in the workforce. So that's one trend I see, and I think you could call it a revamp of sorts, uh, although a lot of the traditional Wall Street, white shoe, lockstep law firms will still keep to that system of paying by seniority. Okay. And Barbara, how about you? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that we are seeing changes. There are some bonuses that are moving towards, you know, meritocracy-based rather than something lockstep. But, you know, to call it a revamp, I, I don't know how quickly it will happen or uh, how many firms will be making these changes. I think we'll see baby steps across the next few years. But, you know, the law firm business, it's a risk-averse business, and it can be risk-averse to change. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm curious, Barbara, with your lateral associates, to what extent would a bonus that's not lockstep, that's based on their performance, to what extent does that tend to be important or not important to your candidates? You know, it's an interesting question because one would think tying a bonus to performance would be a sought-after element for lateral associates who are moving between firms. But surprisingly, and perhaps it's a result of you know, our most recent economic downturn or maybe it's just the risk-averse lawyers that we deal with every day, most seem very nervous about the idea of moving to a firm where bonuses are not lockstep. Now, do I think that's going to be a deal breaker for them, you know, once they, they consider all of the factors in a move? Probably not, but it does give more pause to associates than I would have expected. And I know we've heard of the, the stealth layoffs. I'm curious, and Dave, I'll ask you this first. Do some firms have, perhaps we could just call them stealth or not so great bonuses? Have you ever seen or heard of that? In terms of generally uh, paying low bonuses? Or? Yeah, and maybe not being completely honest about it or something like that. Uh, trying to hide the fact that they're not paying great bonuses. Well, you know, honestly, I think what they often tend to do is they will go the individualized route uh, where you don't know uh, what your co the compensation of your colleagues is, and then nobody has any way of knowing how much uh, people are being paid. Uh, so I think one of the concerns, uh, going back to uh, what Barbara was saying about uh, non-lockstep systems, is that they're not transparent. You don't know how much the other guy is making. And so uh, firms that are trying to reduce their compensation costs can certainly take advantage of this and lowball everybody. And people may not want to say it, uh, how, how low their bonus is, because uh, it's almost like admitting uh, you're not the uh, best associate. So people who get low bonuses uh, at non-transparent, individualized uh, regimes may just keep quiet about it. Well, I'm curious, in where they set bonuses on performance, do you think that the associate colleagues talk about the numbers for each other, or maybe they drop hints? or? It, it varies a lot from firm to firm. Uh, sometimes with firms that have individualized bonuses, we will hear at Above the Law about the situation, and people will say, uh, here are a couple of data points. I'm a 2005 associate, and I built this many hours, and I got this much money. I have a friend who's a 2008, and she built this many hours, and got this much money. And so you can kind of uh, figure out how a firm is doing generally, but the other very clever thing about individualized bonuses is if you know 
tell me, though, and I am assuming that when the bonus news does come out, it's the associates that tip off your site? Generally, uh, generally that is the case. Uh, occasionally, some firm, especially a firm with good news, might want to provide us with a copy of their announcement or information about their distributions, often on an on-background basis. But uh, in most cases, uh, we are hearing about the news from the associates. And at lockstep firms, it's not as controversial. It's really very matter-of-fact uh, because it's just a matter of, well, you graduated law school this year, you get this much of a bonus. Uh, at, the, at the individualized firms, it tends to be a more sensitive subject. Peter, what is your sense of how partners feel about performance-based bonuses versus lockstep bonuses? Well, I think that varies from firm to firm and, and even from partner to partner. I think there is a growing undercurrent in conversation in firms about whether hours-based bonuses, and, and let's cut to the chase. When we're talking about performance, generally we're, what we're really talking about is what David mentioned is how many hours they, they build and mm-hmm. how hard the firm perceives the associates worked in terms of the hours they, their average hours firm-wide over the course of the year and then how any individual lawyer stacked up against the average. And and I, I think there's a growing conversation in firms about whether that's the right way to award bonuses because it's antithetical to what clients want, particularly from first to third year associates. I think associates' reluctance to move to merit-based systems is partly because they don't know it. But generally, I think even any associate move make in when it comes to bonuses, they worry about, you know, will they get the work, the hours, to uh, to justify the bonus? And they, you know, sometimes the devil they know is better than the devil they don't. So they stay in a place where they know they can get the 1,800 or 2,200 hours, whatever it takes to get the bonus. There are questions arising in firms about whether that's the right way to award bonuses. And so there is a, an emerging trend to take other factors into consideration uh, than something that clients find unattractive. Peter, have you seen any firms that have bonuses that are not awarded based on hours and it's performance, and they truly are awarded on performance, not hours? I think there have been a couple of firms that have done that. As a tiny minority of, of firms have moved in that direction. I think that that conversation is really just getting underway as firms struggle with uh, becoming more efficient and alternative fee arrangements that that drive that and really disincentivize the production of hours. And so I think firms are just starting to wrestle with that. I wouldn't even raise it to the level of wrestle with it. I would go back to what I said earlier. I, I think there's a there's a conversation that's taking place at firms about that. But I think it's going to be take a little while before that would really kick in. And Barbara and Dave, is that pretty much what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I mean, I think I would generally agree. In terms of partner interest in associate bonus, I would say, generally speaking, there's not a lot of interest in it. I think behind any closed door, partners will typically roll their eyes on this subject. But, you know, I I think it's right. Hours-based bonuses versus a performance-based system, it's almost hard to to say what's the difference because I think especially in the junior ranks for associates, the hours are what make the performance. But again, you know, I think we just go back to this idea of remaining competitive and just making sure that your range is aligned with your fellow Wall Street firms. I would agree with uh, what Barbara just said. Uh, One of our 
partner columnists on Above the Law, uh, pointed out that in many cases, rank-and-file partners aren't even really involved in the determination of overall bonus levels. They might have input into how they review particular associates if the firm takes performance into account. But for the firms that go lockstep, uh, the decision, uh, to the extent that you even call it a decision to match Pravath or the market, uh, is generally made by partners in management. And so rank-and-file partners either might not be particularly interested or, as Barbara was saying, might roll their eyes at the topic. Uh, if it's not a topic that, uh, it's not a subject over which they have a huge amount of control uh, in many cases. Yeah, I, I, I would cover that. It would be extraordinary at a large law firm for rank-and-file partner to have any input at all on what the associate bonuses should be. This doesn't happen. I do think that many of them will smile this year if David's prediction is right, which I <laughs> agree with, that the bonuses are going to be like last year. I think I think they'll they'll feel relieved and, and I think they roll their eyes in the years where the bonuses are much higher. So will the associates be smiling or frowning? I'm guessing frowning. What do you all think? You know, I, I'm actually thinking that there has become a, there, that we're seeing a recalibration of, uh, of attitudes. Uh, above the law, we launched in 2006, and so we were around for some of the heyday of associate bonuses, and then we were around for the layoffs. And I think that associates uh, are, in many cases, uh, more grateful just to have jobs to pay off some of the huge debts that Barbara alluded to earlier. And I think there's less of an sense of entitlement and less of a sense that they should be paid huge amounts, uh, and many times they're just happy to have gainful employment, especially if they were at their firms during the uh, painful contraction of late 2008, 2009, even into 2010. Uh, now, that's not to say that particular associates who work, were worked like dogs or were treated harshly during the year and then received a small, what they consider a small bonus, won't be upset, but uh, I think that you're starting to see a shift in associate attitudes on uh, I'd give a more nuanced answer. I think that associates at the big corporate shops, the traditional Wall Street firms with one or two exceptions, will be happy to get a bonus this year, and I agree with David's assessment. I think at the big litigation shops that have had extraordinary years, and we're going to see some extraordinary numbers posted and extraordinary hours by associates, if those firms pay the same bonuses, as the big corporate shops, I think associates are going to frown. On the other hand, if they get some recognition, even if it's token, that they worked a lot harder this year, I think they'll they'll be happy. Of course, it, it's impossible to know what's going to happen in the next few years, but could any of you see bonuses for the next year or the year after that perhaps being smaller than what they were last year and what it sounds like for this year? I think a lot will depend on the performance uh, of the firm. I think if firms continue to make incremental gains in profit, even if it's incremental gain based on shedding uh, expenses rather than growing revenue, I think the bonuses will probably remain at a similar level. And if business picks up, perhaps they'll even go higher. Uh, I don't see them going much lower necessarily uh, unless we see uh, some kind of major uh, economic shock. But uh, hey, you know, it could happen. It, it happened in uh, 2008. I agree with David on this. I I would be surprised, assuming that sort of our economic trajectory slowly remains the same, that we would see much of a difference. I, I don't expect lower bonuses unless, you know, we fell into sort of a double-dip recession or something 
um, you know, with economic recovery slowed immensely. There won't be, I don't think, a, a mistake like in, in 2008 where, you know, one firm sort of decided to, to offer bonuses that were aligned with these larger 2007 levels and then quickly the next year went back to sort of the cravat standard. I think that there is going to be a more conservative approach moving forward, and I don't think we'll see huge increases, and nor would I expect uh, a decrease. Peter, what do you think? I, I agree. I think uh, that the, the level bonuses we're talking about this year are, are modest and reasonable, even in a relatively flat year. I wouldn't expect bonuses to go down unless something cataclysmic happened in the market, like another 2008, uh, which I don't expect will happen. And I think it's going to take a significant recovery before bonuses go up, although I would come back to, I think the competitive set is changing somewhat. And we used to talk about the Wall Street firms because they were the most profitable firms and uh, the richest of the rich. And I think now we see some other firms in that group with north of $2.5 million in uh, profits per partner. And I think those firms have their own set of issues to deal with in terms of being competitive for the best associates, and we may see a different competitive set. I, I suspect we will see a different set. I think if the economy stays the way it is and the disparity in performance between firms that have, let's say, a 70% litigation mix, big litigation mix, versus a 35% big litigation mix, 65% corporate dragging them down versus 35% corporate dragging them down. If that persists for another year, I think you're going to see the big litigation shops uh, start to set the market, and it won't be the big transactional shops setting the market. I just don't think hmm. that the big litigation shops can continue making the demands on their associates and having as robustly profitable years distinctly different from the big transaction shops and continue to pay the same bonus. And maybe this is a crazy question, but do you think, Peter, have any other firms ever discussed or thought about doing away with bonuses? I've never heard of it. <laughs> that, would, that would be suicidal, I would imagine. Yeah, maybe maybe in their deepest, darkest dreams, <laughs> they've, uh, <laughs> they've, they've spoken in their sleep about it, but I don't, I don't think there's any, any real consideration of that. I, I, I think that generally they feel that bonuses are a healthy part of the compensation package and uh, serve to you know, reward people who've worked really hard and contributed a lot to the success of the firm. And it's just going back to the corporate America analogy, it's just, it's just good practice to do it. And um, so they, I don't think they're going to go away. Do any of you think that we will see spring bonuses next year? Oh, I readers wish, but uh, <laughs> I, I tend to uh, highly doubt that. Uh, you know, it seems that 2012 has not been a great year for uh, transactional practice, and a lot of large firm profitability is driven driven by that. And I, I don't think you would see spring bonuses unless something uh, very uh, unusual happens. Uh, Well, I have to agree with David. You know, law firms have surprised me before, so I could be wrong, but I do speculate that we won't 
see them this time around. You know, the bonuses, the spring bonuses specifically were implemented sort of as this retention tool from the firms when most lateral associate moves happen in the first quarter of any given year. So associates wait for their year-end bonus, thank you very much, and boom, they're looking to move to other firms. So I think the point of these bonuses was to retain those people through that first quarter. The problem is that the spring bonuses, from what I saw, seemed to dissuade no one from making a lateral move. The firms that were recruiting these associates had no problem making them whole. So I think because the point of these bonuses maybe was not successful, I would be surprised if they repeated it next year. All right, and that's everything I have for today. I want to thank you all so much for your time. I appreciate it. This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next. Conduct legal research from any device, anytime, anywhere, even offline with the award-winning Westlaw Next iPad app. Learn more at westlawnext.com.